thank you again for coming for the last about four and a half, five months. We've been talking about relationships, relationships. That's the thing about Christianity, different from other religions. Christianity is different from other religions in the fact that we have a relationship with none other than Jesus Christ. Amen? So we, we talk about relationships, and we talked about the relationship uh, with God and how that uh, God created Adam and Eve, and then they fell in the garden and lost that relationship, and yet God in his omnipotent and omni way just brought man back into a relationship with him. And I love that, praise God, relationship with God. And then we talked about our relationship with uh, the family and how important the family is and uh, how important the wife and husband's relationship is. And, and oh boy, that's, you could go on and on and on. In fact, we could go on all year on this, but uh, it's coming to a close almost. But, and then we talked about not only our relationship with God, our relationship with the family, but our relationship uh, with the world, our relationship with the world, our relationship with the church. How is our relationship with the church? What kind of relationship do you have with the church? Amen. And it's important to have good relationships, whether it's with God. And we started off with God because that's the most important. And it's good we have a relationship, good relationship with our, our families and our husbands and our wives and our children and our parents. And it's good to have a good relationship with our church. And we talked extensively about that. And now we're talking about our relationship with the world. If you were here Sunday before last, we started on our relationship with the world, and uh, we gave out notes on that. And if you're here today and you don't have an outline of, this, of the sermon, please raise your hand, and Brother Chris will make sure you get one. If you do not have an outline, I want everyone to have an outline of the sermon today. And... Uh, our relationship with the world, we started off with John chapter 17, where, uh, of course, it's a great chapter. In fact, that's really where the Lord's Prayer is, is John 17. John chapter 17, Jesus prays for the church. He prays for the individuals. He prays for the lost. He just spends time praying. And he talked in there about our relationship with the world and how at times you and I, here we go, you and I will run into some problems with the world. You ever run into problems with the world? Now, we don't set, set out to do that. And we're not rejoicing because of that. But in that scripture in chapter 17, Jesus said, the world will hate you. The world will hate you. And, uh, and then last Sunday we talked about, from, and from Matthew chapter 5, about our relationship with the world, with you and I, the believer, being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And uh, I would like to continue this morning, if you allow me, on our relationship with the world. What is the role of the church in our culture today? Let that sink in and ask yourself and think about it for just a moment. What should be our relationship with the world today? What kind of relationship do we have? What kind of relationship should we have? And if you want to know, then I think you can turn with me to the book of Acts because we can see how 
the church, the early church, dealt with the world? What kind of relationship? In fact, that's the pattern. You want to find out how our relationship with the world is simply by looking at the relationship the early church, the first century church, the Acts church had with the world. And uh, I'll read, if you will, from Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. And with many other words, he, Peter, now this is after Peter's sermon after the day of Pente- on the day of Pentecost, and with many other words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles. Now this verse 42. You'll find four, four characteristics of the early church. I want to give five today. And I, I think it's very important that we look at these characteristics. And notice in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. So God's word, fellowship, koinonia is a Greek word there, treating each other with love and consideration and and compassion, and then the breaking of the bread, and that's including not only communion, but in fellowship with eating together, eating together, and then with prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Brother Todd was teaching the other night on Ananias and Sapphira, and in that particular fifth chapter, it's talking about the fear that came upon the people because of what happened, this one-time incident, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Most of us, or many of us, remember that. And the Bible says that fear came upon the people because Ananias, which lied to the Holy Ghost, and his wife, three hours later, Sapphire, uh, lied to the Holy Ghost, and they both fell dead in the church. Now, I looked that up, and I began to run references on that, and I noticed there's a lot of fear, but it was not necessarily fear, it was awe. And if you look at it, especially several chapters in the book of Luke, and then several chapters in the book of Acts, it talked about reverential fear, even with signs and wonders, even with things happening. Many of us remember the seven sons of Steva, uh, how that they uh, were attacked by this man, and fear came on the people over and over again. And I'm wondering, and I got to thinking about this, is there all in the church toward God today? Are we reverent? Do we respect God's house? Do we respect God as we should? But that's fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all and as anyone had need. That's not communism. That was volunteering. That was volunteering. They're goods. And uh, verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness 
and simplicity or sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Father, add your blessings to the reading of your word. Speak to our hearts. Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you reveal this powerful, powerful truth and challenge us today and move me and move this congregation as we share your word in Christ's name we pray, amen. One of the most useful and descriptive passages in discovering God's pattern for the church, as we have just read, is found in Acts 2. And that's the reason it's important that we read the book of Acts. And we had three great teachers on Wednesday night. If you're missing Wednesday night, wow, you're missing something that's very, very special. Brother Dan, Brother Larry, and Brother Todd, they're sharing their hearts. And we're going through this book, and I just feel like we're right on. We ask God to not necessarily bless what we're doing. We want to do what God's blessing, and God is certainly blessing. But uh, I want to ask you a question. Can the world... Uh, can the church rather, can you and I make an impact on our culture, on our world today? Ask yourself that question. Can we, can we make a difference? Notice what we have in our introduction, if you will. A fundamental shift is taking place within our culture. We are coming to view North America as a mission field. There was a time, and we still do, America has sent more missionaries around the world than any, any nation ever. But there was a time we hardly ever talked about missions for America. But now, many countries are sending missionaries to our mission field, America, a term we used to reserve for other continents many years ago. This shift is... Uh, is requiring churches to make, now listen at me, substantial adjustments in both their self-understanding and their ministries. And I believe that's one reason the Lord has us sharing this, is because God wants us to, to think maybe a little bit different than what we did 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when it comes to approaching the, the world, and when it comes to approaching the unchurched. And the unsaved, God wants us to take a real serious look at how we deal with the world. Churches can no longer enjoy the luxury of spending most of their time on nurture, dealing with evangelism only as a specialized add-on. And that's something to think about. That's something we did years ago. It's dealt mostly with simply nurturing the church, nurturing the congregation, and we did, of course, practice evangelism. But the important thing is that now we have got to focus on reaching the unsaved and reaching the unchurched for those who have the interest. It's becoming increasingly evident that if churches are to be effective in reaching people, they now need to seek out the world. One amen. Amen. You and I, the church... Believers, we need our, to seek out certainly the world. They must place as much emphasis on mission, outreach, as they used to place on nurture. And I got that from Craig Gelder. 
And that's the reason that I shared with you about the salt and the light and how important it is for you and I just to be the salt of the earth. For you and I just to be the light of the world. And I'm praying that the Lord will help us as a church to be able to reach the unsaved and reach, as I said, the unchurched. Uh, It is important for the church to recapture its role in shaping the culture. I want to first of all look at the culture influence. And this number one, I, I, I still can't wrap my mind around number one, uh, Roman numeral number one. Christianity gained more conversions in America over the last 200 years than any other faith. Simultaneously, Christianity steadily lost culture influence despite its rapid conversion growth. Say, oh, oh, why? Why? Why, have we, why don't we influence television? Why don't we influence Hollywood? Why don't we influence sports? Why don't we influence education? Why? There's, there's something, there's a reason why. That even though Christianity has grown more than any other religion, that we're having less impact on the culture. And I weep with that. It makes me stop and think. As Henry Blackaby writes in Experience in God, the role of every Christian is to watch to see where God is at work and join him. So what is God doing with the church today? Where is the church? What should be our motivation and what should we do as far as the people outside of these walls it makes me think it makes me cry it makes me weep it it really challenges my heart and I've said here I believe God is called in the church in the United States to grasp its calling to influence the greater culture let's recapture that Uh, Someone said it is estimated by scholars that during the first 25 years of the Jerusalem church, it grew from about 120 people to over 100,000 people. They turned their world upside down. They so affected what happened. And I believe the church can do it today. Let me tell you how it can do it. Let the church be the church. Now, if I ask you this morning, what is our vision statement? Would you be able to tell us? What is Bethel's vision statement? If I would ask you today, what is our mission strategy statement? Would you be able to tell us? You've got the what and the why. You have the what and the why. why. What are we doing here? Why do we come to church on Sunday? Why do we have Wednesday night, Friday night, the prayers that we have? Why do we give? Why do we sing? Why are we doing what we're doing? First of all, our mission statement is simple. Transforming lives through Christ. Transforming lives through Christ. 
We've had that since 1991, transforming lives through Christ. You know, Brother Michael was dealing with some folks outside of the church and, and setting up the uh, website or whatever he was doing, and, and they didn't understand that. You and I understand that. But the world has no idea. The unchurched has no idea about that word, transforming. What are you talking about, transforming lives? Well, I broke it down in this number two. Notice, as we first of all say, transform means change. Transforming lives means changing. You know, it's one thing to reach out to people. It's something else to see that individual, that life, that family, the culture change. And the only way you're going to change people is intrinsically, not extrinsically. The only way you're going to change people is from the inside out. You can take a criminal, put him in prison. That won't change him. He'll stop doing what he's doing. Now, I'm not saying that, that physical things perhaps are not effective. But I am saying the only way that we're going to see our culture change and transform is, is what we're saying in this vision statement. Transform, being changed. Notice what Romans says, and I have it in two translations. First of all, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Follow me. It's just a good one. Hang on to this second verse. Here we go. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's a great verse. That you may be changed. Caterpillars change to butterflies. People can change from sin to righteousness through and by Jesus Christ. Then I wanted to look at Eugene Peterson's how how he, he wrote this down. Notice with me, if you will, verse 1 and verse 2. Here's what Paul said right into the church at Rome. Follow me, if you will. So here's what I want you to do. God is helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Wow. The best thing. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. I'm about to get happy. This is good. This, this puts it right where we can understand it. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That ought to be on, on, on a wall somewhere. It ought to be on your refrigerator. So first of all, Transforming lives, changing lives. Lives, notice what I have here, lives, which is life. Luke 9, 56 says, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's what? 
lives, but to save them. That's why he came. That's why he's, he, he sends us, is to transform people's lives, not churches. I mean, this is brick and mortar. Transform lives. Jesus prayed for a blind man. The Bible says he saw men as trees. A lot of the church sees men as trees. They see them as an object. We see you as somebody that can come and fill a pew. You can come and give your tithe. You can come and help us sing. You can come and help us to have a crowd. That's not what it's all about. It's to change lives. It's to make a difference in lives. And when lives are changed, they change the world. When lives are changed, they change the culture. Churches can't change culture. Carnality can't change the culture. But changed lives can change people. Notice number three, through. It's a process. It is a process. Now you're saved instantly. You come to the altar and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You kneel down beside of the bed. You realize you need Christ and you kneel before him wherever. You meet the condition and call on him and say, Father, forgive me of my sins. That's where you're changed. But then there's a process. Look at what we have, if you will, in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being, having been justified by Faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 9 of the same chapter, chapter 5, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. How? Through Christ. Boy, isn't that simple? Isn't that simple? And then Christ. Who is this Christ? Larry was teaching last Wednesday, was a week ago, and he talked about this Jesus. And he said, people, you know, people, they'll let you talk about God. They'll let you talk about church and religion. But don't you mention Jesus Christ. That's when they have a problem. Mohammed's not going to change an individual. Buddha's not going to change an individual. The only person that's going to change a person from inside out is Jesus Christ. Wow. And so he's the Savior and the Redeemer of all mankind. And let them, let them say what they want to. Let them believe what they want to. But Acts chapter 2 verse 36 says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus. Say this Jesus. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's the way it is. And that's what God says. And let God be truth in every man alive. So our vision statement, you say, what do y'all do over there? We see lives transformed through and by Jesus Christ. And then there's the how. How do we do it? Now I want to thank Denny Stanley. Denny Stanley spent a lot of weeks and time helping us with this back in 1991. You'll notice, first of all, look at Roman numeral number two. Number two, the mission strategy. First of all, exalt. Second of all, encourage. 
Thirdly, equipped. And then fourthly, evangelized. All ease. Now, isn't that simple? What's our vision statement? Transforming lives through Christ. What is our mission strategy? Exalt all the ease. Let me, let me go through them real quickly. Creating and maintaining a spirit of praise and worship unto God, like this morning, whereby he is exalted and personal growth is assured. Somebody say amen. That's a good one. If you don't have this, you, you ought to pick it up. It tells you all about what this church is about. Transforming lives through Christ, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, encouraging Christians, encouraging Christians to devote themselves to God's purpose in their lives. Quite simple, isn't it? Number three, equipping the body of Christ to minister effectively to others. We have that. We disciple people. We decide, what is discipling? Let me have somebody to come and tell you what discipling is, would you? Lord knows if someone brings the basketball up to the pulpit, they better have something to say, right? <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about last week specifically. Uh, Monday and Thursday we went out, a few different ones of us. And at this point in life, this is certainly not a pride thing for myself. I can say on Mondays, one of the first times that I can say on back-to-back games, I was picked last as captains were picking teams. And now did I get picked last, I still lost. So anyway, sometimes you have to get past through what is or isn't effective for you know what is good in the long run. And so that's what this is about. So last Monday, uh, Jonathan and his brother wanted to play basketball. And so just through just commonality of life and, and Chrissy gave me some good ideas, I chose to, instead of just swinging by their house, inviting a friend of mine, I called up some youth. So I picked up uh, someone, Jalen, nearby the church. I called the Phil Potts, who are not with us today. And they came down and brought Josh, their son. And so we all went down together and had a kind of a youth outing, spontaneous kind of thing, down in South Durham. And there were a couple other guys there. Like I said, a friend of mine was nearby. And so we played basketball. It was fun. Right? And then a few days later this week, Thursday, again, Jonathan was wanting to play. We play at NC State. A lot of my friends that I went to school with and different ones still get together and play. So these are guys that are about my age, and again, I brought Jalen down, and this is a little different. These, these are guys that play really hard, and you know, I don't know that all of us are that great, but you know, we're okay, and it's, it's a lot different than Monday, but we still went at it. Everybody's really sore the next day, but it was a great time, and it's something that the time spent has a lot of benefits. It's more than just basketball. It's more than just how many shots were made or, or who did what on the court. It's about the time that was individually spent and knowing and connecting with people. Because you can see someone on a Sunday morning, but how much time do you really get to connect with that person and pour into their life? And so outside of time, taking an evening away brings a whole other dynamic to it. Going and driving and being with each other in the car, that brings another dynamic to it. And so I want to challenge you guys this morning that no matter what you may be going through in life, what your specific life entails, we don't all play basketball, but we all do something. You have ways to connect with those around you. And so I just want to challenge you that whatever you're doing in your own life, invite people into your life. Christy and I, I don't know the details on this exactly, but Ms. Teresa sent out an email about students going to Duke and that they're coming in internationally and different things, and we're going to have some of those over to our house, these, these international students, this fall. And so there's things that you can do no matter what. No matter maybe you're pouring into your kids, you have a neighbor, you have a loved one, a coworker. Do something that 
is intentional with your time, some way to connect and develop, and there's no measure that you can actually put on the impact that this little amount of time can actually make in the long run. And not only that, as we're talking about discipleship, uh, we, Pastor and I have talked a lot during the week, evangelism and discipleship, that's a dovetail relationship there. And there is a place for direct evangelism. Sometimes it's easier to, to really get to the nitty-gritty with a stranger, depending on how God's wired you. I'm not so much that way, but some of you are wired to where you can walk up to a stranger and you can, you can give them the truth. You know, you can cut right to the heart of the matter. But sometimes this evangelism is also enhanced because of the personal time and relationship that you've spent with that person. And when you live Christ on display in your life with people around you, that also goes a long way for evangelism. And finally, when you get to know people, you become also more effective ministering to that person in their life because you actually know where they are, you know where they're coming from, and what's actually going on in their life. And that's how the church can actually be the church and make these connections and get out in the community and enhance each other. So when it comes to actually being the church together, we, our conference this year, our fellowship conference, the theme was Better Together. And that's what discipleship is. Discipleship's not done on an island. You know, you can have a program here and a program there, but it's not a program that actually solves it. It's us being together in community, having a relationship, having Christ as our head, and us spurring each other on as iron sharpens iron. And that can be done on a basketball court. It can be done on a church service. It can be done Wednesday night. If we get done over a meal, pastor is all about having a meal with someone. That is one of the best ways to connect with someone, no matter if they're a stranger you meet them for the first time or someone that you're reconnecting with and you know them very well. So just be challenged in your life to not feel like it has to have some kind of formula or be super religious or rigid or any of these things that we often feel like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't have time, I don't have the know-how, the polish to do this. Discipleship is whatever God has equipped you with in this moment to reach those that God's put in your life. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. That is Discipling 101. And it's so important that we're involved in discipling people. And I don't know of anyone that does any more than, than Michael and Christie Britt, that they go out and, and touch a lot of and they, 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 they buy people food. They went to Taco Bell or, 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 or Del, you know, Taco Bell. And, and, and just, and you know, you can go out to Starbucks and, and disciple people. You can go to uh, any, any I, I do a lot of discipling over food, and uh, that's a good way to do it. I witness to waitresses and waiters and, and, and people that clean up the table, and it's just important. And so we, we uh, exalt Jesus Christ. We encourage the believer. We equip the believer to witness and go out wherever it might be. And then we evangelize. That's evangelism. It's important that you and I evangelize and tell people about Jesus Christ. I just want to tell you what this person, Jesus Christ, has done for me. So the role of the church is seeing people's lives transform. And how do we do it? Through exalting through encouraging, through equipping, and we do it by evangelism. We do it by evangelism. Now let me quickly go through these five, if you will. Stay with me. Look over at your neighbor and say, stay with him. Come on, say, stay with him now. First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now this is mentioned number one. And I believe because 
The word of God is foundational when it comes to any other activity in the church. And that's what I like about these teachers on, on uh, Wednesday night and other times. They teach the word of God. And they were devoted. They were committed. Are we devoted to the word? Are we committed to the word? And it was an earnest, uh, persevering, diligent, persistent, studying Christ's teaching. They didn't have the Bible like we have it today. They had scrolls of the Old Testament. But they didn't have the New Testament. But the, listen to me. These disciples that was with Jesus, those three plus years, those disciples taught the early church the teachings of Jesus Christ. They were devoted to his doctrine and his theology. Theology does make a difference. Oh, you can believe what you want to believe. No, you can't. Not and go to heaven. Not and be a Christian. You can't believe what you want to believe. You've got to believe thus saith the word of God. Not only were they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to fellowship. You know what fellowship is? It's just what, Rick, uh, what uh, uh, Michael said. Fellowship is love in action. Showing someone love. Fellowship in them. Not just shaking a hand, bypassing, re-bypassing. It is, it is, it is really uh, showing Christian love. They were devoted to each other. And it's important. Number three, they were devoted to breaking of bread. Now, I know this can mean, and it does mean, communion. But it also means that they ate together. Much of their activity, much of their discipleship was around eating, fellowshipping, strengthening one another, loving one another, supporting one another, laughing with one another, crying with one another, and they they, they gain strength. They gain strength. And it's important that we do that. They were devoted to prayer. The, let me go back. The first century Christians met together every day to worship God. And then they were devoted to prayer. They, they, they prayed together. You know, this church has standard praying times. And we have other times when it's not schedule. As most of you know, we start out Sunday morning between 9 and 9.30. I don't know who all was in that prayer room this morning, but somebody got a hold of God. Somebody touched the Lord this morning. And we have prayer every Sunday morning, 9 to 9.30. Beautiful prayer room. Be part of that. Not only that, but Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock, we gather to pray, and it's wonderful. It's, it's just so wonderful to pray. And then our big night is Friday night. Friday night is a time of prayer. Coming together is one. Praying with each other. And we go through the acronym of Acts. First of all, we start off adoring Christ. Second of all, we confess our sins. Thirdly, then we begin to thank God for all of his bountiful blessings. And then last, we bring in the supplication that we can ask God for certain things. They prayed together. Someone says, well... I don't know about prayer. Well, let me tell you something that's very important about prayer. Prayer moves the prayer toward God. All right. 
Well, he didn't answer my prayer last week, or he didn't do this. It's not necessarily to get out there and just fall down and ask God for all kinds of things, and he does hear our prayer, and he will meet our needs. But I want to know the mind of God. I want to draw near to God, and I do that through prayer. So prayer is more than just supplication. It's all of those things that I mentioned a while ago, and God helped the church to pray. Help the church to pray. Let me tell you a little story. Most of you, I've got it on your, your paper there, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Herod, King Herod was an evil man. He sought to please the people, so he had uh, a disciple murdered, martyred, killed. Well, they enjoyed that so much and thought that so great until he arrested Peter. And put him in prison. He put Peter in prison. But notice what it says. And Peter, verse 5 of chapter 12, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And probably all of us remember this story how that they didn't stop praying. They didn't want Peter to die. Now, don't ask me why God would allow one to be murdered and martyred and another one not. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out when we get to heaven. I just know God is omnipotent, omnipresent. I just know God is sovereign. And so they prayed. And an angel went to the jailhouse. Went right through the bars. Tapped Peter on the shoulder and said, get up, put on your sandals. Put on your shoes, Peter. And Peter got up and put on his shoes and they walked right through the doors. He said, how did that happen? The power of God. They went on the outside of the jail. Peter thought he was dreaming. He thought he was just seeing a vision. He didn't realize it. But all this happened because the church dared to pray. You have a son or a daughter or a loved one in prison, pray. God will set them free. You have a friend, you have a neighbor, you have, you have a co-worker. You want to see him come out of prison? the prison of bondage, the prison of sin, pray God will intervene in their behalf. God will intervene in their behalf. They were devoted to themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They devoted themselves to communion and how important that is. We have it every Friday night. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. And then lastly, they devoted themselves to outreach. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Scripture we read quite often. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses. You shall be witnesses. Unto me. Jesus said unto me. Not just witnesses. Unto me. In Jerusalem. In Judea. In Samaria. And to the uttermost parts of the world. Acts chapter 8 brings that uttermost parts of the world so vivid to our, our, our minds and, and hearts. You shall be witnesses. They were devoted to outreach. This outward thrust of the gospel is the main storyline of Acts. I'm going to read that again. It was the main storyline of Acts, this outreach to the unsaved. They wanted to win people for Jesus Christ. And how do they do it? Read with me. Chapter 4, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness 
to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. Back in the 80s, I'm closing. Man thought he could reach out and touch people's lives in the natural way. And so there was a church that was built and born right out of Chicago. It was called Willow Creek. Willow Creek was a thriving church. It was a growing church. In fact, it grew to 25,000 people. People from all over the world came to Willow Creek Church. They adopted their, their programs. They adopted how that they did church. And that's what they did. They did church. Pastors by the thousands came. Many evangelical churches here in America today, and there's some in this city right now, many evangelical churches adopted what Willow Creek was doing. Bill Hybels, and this is an article written by Paul David Tripp in Christianity Today. And there's a question mark behind this statement. Willa Creek repents? Why the most influential church in America now says we made a mistake. Few would disagree with the Willow Creek Community Church has been one of the most influential churches in America over the last 30 years. Willow, through its association, has promoted a vision of church that is big, that is programmatic, and comprehensive. This vision has been heavily influenced by the methods of secular business. James Twitchell in his new book, Shopping for God, reports that outside of Bill Hybels' office hangs a poster that says, What is our business? Who is our customer? What does the customer consider value? Directly or indirectly, the philosophy of ministry, church should be a big box with programs for people at every level of spiritual maturity to consume and engage has impacted every evangelical church in the, in, in the country. Now think about that. Many churches, a lot of churches, adopted what some would call the seeker-friendly method of reaching the unsaved. What happened when leaders of Willow Creek stand up and say, we made a mistake, notice, follow me, stay with me. Not long ago, Willow released its findings from a multiple-year qualitative study of its ministry. Basically, they wanted to know what programs, what activities of the church were actually helping people mature spiritually and which were not. The results were published in a book re revealed, the book title, Reveal What Are You? Co-authored by Greg Hawkins, executive pastor of Willow Creek Church. Greg Hawkins says participation is a big deal. We believe the more people participating in these sets of activities with higher levels of frequency, it will produce disciples of Christ. Just get involved in some program. 
Just go to church and let them stroke you. Just go to church and, and learn all about the intelligent way to reach people. This has been Willis' philosophy of minister in a nutshell. The church creates programs slash activities. <clears throat> people participated in these activities. The outcome is spiritual maturity. That's what they thought. In a moment of stinging honesty, Hawkins says, I know it might sound crazy, but that's how we do it in churches. We measure levels of participation. If you can run, an in, run them in and out like sheep, if you can have a church full and have all these thousands of people participating that'll make a disciple. Notice what he says. Having put so many of these eggs into a program-driven church basket, you can understand their shock, Willis leaders, when the research revealed that increasing levels of participation in these sets of activities does not, and it's capitalized N-O-T, does not predict whether someone's becoming more of a disciple of Christ. Stunning results. Stunning results. It does not predict whether they love God more. And speaking at a leadership summit, Heibel summarized the findings this way. Listen to what the pastor, that thousands of pastors at one time, not now, but thousands of pastors looked up to this man. He says this at a leadership summit. Summit. Some of the stuff that we have put millions of dollars into thinking it would really help our people grow and develop spiritually. When the data actually came back, it wasn't helping people that much. Isn't that something that you spent 30 years investing in? That you spent millions and millions of dollars to help people to affect the culture. And you ask me now why the culture is not being effective. It's no secret. Doesn't boggle my mind. Because if we in the church, whether it's Willow Creek or whether it's Bethel, if we aren't changed and go outside to change the world, the culture stays the same or gets worse. It stays the same or get worse. Let me tell you what people do. And this is going to be important, what I say here. The things when it comes to the church and the culture issue, there's two things. We become so enamored, we eagerly conform. There is adaptation and compromise. So, you and I can look at our culture and become enamored with it, with all the stars, with all the glitter and all the stuff that it has to offer. And the world does have a lot to offer. And we can become enamored with it. We can compromise and adapt to the world. Or number two, stay with me. Stay with me. Or we are repulsed by what's going on, and most of us are. And we become totally disengaged. Leads to isolation 
and irrelevance. So we can either love the world so much till we become like the world. Or we can hate the world so much until we isolate ourselves from it. Both of them are wrong. Let me say it again. Both are wrong. It's time that the church understood that we can affect the world. We have the power. But that verse has got to ring loud and clear and with great power and with great power. Put that up again, if you will, if you can find it. Acts 4.33. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon most of them. Huh? It can change the world. You can change the world. Whether you're at high school, and the elementary kids are back there, whether you're on your job, you can change the world whether you're out eating or a filling station or wherever you go. We can be like a Michael and say, listen, I want to affect people in a positive way. Yeah, I'll play basketball with them. Yeah, I'll eat at Crocker Barrel with them. Yeah, I'll do this. I'll buy them a cup of coffee. I'll buy them a steak at Outbacks. But I want to change the world. I want to affect them. I want to affect them. Evangelism. I'm persuaded. Folks, I, I don't have a problem believing that the church today can change our culture. It takes some excitement. It takes motivation. I don't know how many of us, including the pastor, are motivated to win the lost. I don't know. I don't know if we are. But I believe the church today Bethel, and I'm saying Bethel. These pews ought to be filled today. We have a lot of people that's out of town, and I know that, but that's that's one thing. But these pews ought to be filled today. But it ought to be be filled with people that's changing their life. They have a different walk. They have a different talk. They're not living that old lifestyle that they at one time did. They've washed out their mouth, not with soap, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. They've changed their life. They're different. It's one thing for people to come into the church and still live like, still like they always lived. What's amazing to me, when I was a kid, when I was nine years old and I got saved, and people got saved back then, they changed their lives. They went a different direction. They stopped doing the old things. The Bible says, Paul says, all things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. God grant that today. Come folks and play for me. Father, we love you today. We love you today. Lord, this is a hard message. I I don't mean it to be. But I pray that the Holy Spirit would challenge me today. I pray that the Holy Spirit would challenge all of us this morning. Move me. Lord, help me see someone that perhaps that I may think that's that's not saved. That I'll do everything I can to stop them from going to hell. Realizing, dear God, if people don't get saved, they're going to hell. They're going to be lost. 
God, move us this morning as a church. Move us this morning as leaders of the church. Help us not to compromise. Help us not to isolate ourselves from the world. God, I pray that you'd help us to be able to affect the world, our society, with the love of Jesus Christ. Bubble in us, Lord. God, bubble over in us today, we humbly pray. Help us, dear God. Move us, dear Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Stand with us, please, if you will. I know a message like this sometimes is a great challenge, but I like them. I hope you're okay with it. I hope you can sense the Holy Spirit nudging you, speaking to you, dealing with you. And I hope we'll purpose in our heart this coming week. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to do everything I can to reach out to a person that's lost. I'm going to make sure that every door that God opens in my life, I'm going to walk through it. I want to be everything that I possibly can. Father, help us to do that. Help us to do that. You know, so often we use as an excuse of not witnessing or maybe uh, not leading someone else to Christ. It's, we just don't have time. Pastor, you don't know how busy I am. Let me, let me give you a statistic this morning. America adults spend over 11 hours per day listening to, watching, reading, or generally interacting with media. Can you imagine what would happen if we'd all put our phones down and our, our computers down? Now, don't you get mad at me. Now, I know I've quit preaching and gone to Madeline. But I'm here to tell you, we've got, we have time. It's just how we direct our time. We have time to witness. We have time to, you know, close those phones. Put that phone down. Put that computer away. Let's tell somebody about Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time together. I know, I know, I know, I know you. Challenge thy hearts, our hearts. You have moved upon us today. And God, I pray that this message would not soon leave us. The principles and the truths of this message would stay with us. Help us, dear God, to be men and women that will reach out and touch other people's lives. Put so much love in our hearts that we can neither gainsay nor resist, but we've got to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to witness to someone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.